Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. If you enjoy The Huddle, please take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Over several episodes, we're discussing the value you provide as a diabetes care and education specialist and how you can leverage that value to promote your role. You can access a new toolkit and paper at diabeteseducator.org forward slash value toolkit. In this episode, we're talking about cardiometabolic care and ways you can integrate broader care strategies to expand your influence and value. Christy Schumacher and Wahida Karmali Join us to discuss how we have utilized their role at the center of the care team to impact cardiometabolic outcomes. Christy, welcome to the huddle. Thanks for having me. Well, we are so happy to have you here. I would love if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and let them know a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm Christy Schumacher, and I'm actually a professor of pharmacy practice at Midwestern University, but I'm a clinical professor. So what that means is I work four days a week at advocate medical group on the south side of Chicago and just one day a week at Midwestern University. So I do have a role teaching pharmacy residents and students in our clinic on the south side of Chicago. So it's a great opportunity for them. So I got started really at Advocate Medical Group Southeast. I had finished a residency. I had done a heart failure traineeship at the University of Illinois Chicago and I was hired on to help improve the management of people with heart failure at Advocate Southeast. So I kind of got myself more in the door in the internal medicine clinic, um, working with our cardiologist, really optimizing medical therapy for patients with heart failure. And what I found is when I was working with our cardiologist, there was a lot of patients that would have an A1C of 16. Maybe they weren't on insulin, weren't taking their insulin. They were lacking education around diabetes. So even though we were optimizing their ACE and beta blocker, we didn't have Entresto at the time adding spironolactone um, and improving their heart failure outcomes, we still found that if we didn't manage their diabetes well, then they were still going to the hospital for hyperglycemic events and having other complications. So what we found was that it was difficult to manage their heart failure if we didn't have their diabetes well managed as well. I mean, it's so neat to hear you talk about this because I think over the past year, especially as ADCES has really kind of rolled out a new vision and talked about the value of the diabetes care and education specialist, that it's so broad, right? That it's not just diabetes, it is cardiometabolic health. And here you're somebody in practice that came from the heart failure side into diabetes. So you're living what we are talking about when we talk about value. So do you have any stories you could share about like your typical day-to-day management? Yeah, of course. So our clinic, I think, is a little bit different. When I tell people that I help with diabetes management instantly, I think everyone kind of assumes, well, I do a lot of insulin adjustments, CGMs, insulin pumps. Our typical patient's a little bit different. We have a lot of patients with type 2 diabetes. 
And they also have a lot of comorbidities such as heart failure, hypertension, peripheral vascular disease, chronic kidney disease. Um, So there's a lot of different things that we're helping manage and kind of navigate for our patients. So a typical day for us, um, I usually see about 10 to 12 patients a day for 30-minute visits where we sit down and we really take a comprehensive approach with the patient. So not only is it helping them manage their type 2 diabetes, it's also we check their blood pressure, make sure their blood pressure is well managed, make sure that they have the tools that they need, such as low-sodium diet education, making sure that they're on a statin for primary prevention or definitely on a high-intensity statin for secondary prevention. Or do they need to be on a different medication, such as Zetia or a PCSK9 inhibitor on top of their statin for further risk reduction? So really what we're looking at is trying to reduce the risk for our patients. So looking at the patient as a whole and not just as just diabetes, just providing carb counting education, but what we're doing is looking at all their disease states and thinking about how they all impact each other. So this um, for pharmacists is actually called comprehensive medication management, where we're looking at how everything influences each other and really trying to just reduce the risk for the person with diabetes. Because we know diabetes, you know, it is hyperglycemia is definitely a problem, but they're also at risk for heart attack, stroke, and all sorts of other complications. So we really have to work together with cardiology and endocrinology to reduce their overall risk, um, which is one of the areas that... I, as now a diabetes care and education specialist, have been helping with. Um, So a typical patient maybe sees a cardiologist and an endocrinologist. So thinking offhand, someone I just saw the other day, they saw their heart failure specialist and the cardiologist wanted to start them on an SGLT2 inhibitor, which was great. They were on Entresto, a beta blocker, spironolactone. But I think one of the areas where we can get involved as diabetes care and education specialists is the cardiologists are starting to ask, well, what do I do with all the other medications to manage diabetes if I start this SGLT2 inhibitor? So this person, for example, was on basal bolus insulin, um, had type 2 diabetes, and the cardiologist wanted to start an SGLT2 inhibitor. So we know there's a lot of education that can be provided to both the cardiologist and the patient. So we have to make sure they don't abruptly stop their insulin regimen when they start the SGLT2 inhibitor. Or we know our patients are at risk for euglycemic DKA, We have to help the cardiologist um, and the patient adjust their insulin regimen to prevent hypoglycemic events. So there's a lot of different educational pieces that we can provide as diabetes care and education specialists. So I don't think we know as diabetes care and education specialists how much knowledge we have and how much we can share with cardiologists, even endocrinologists and people with diabetes to help them better manage their disease states. Because I think now what we're seeing is it's not just cardiology, it's not just endocrinology. Everyone's trying to take a comprehensive approach to the patient in the cardiometabolic realm. So we all have to work together. And as diabetes care and education specialists, I think there's a lot of education that can be provided to people with diabetes to help them manage both their diabetes and their heart issues. Well, when you said you don't think that diabetes care and education specialists know the amount of knowledge they have, I could not agree with you more. Sometimes when I'm doing these interviews, I'm just astounded by how much the diabetes care and education specialist has to know simply by being at the center of the care model, which you're talking about. You're at center of the care model with the person with diabetes, trying to map them and help them work their way through the system. But with all of that and that picture that we're thinking about, Christy, I love, again, that you came from the heart failure side to the diabetes side and you combined them, right? It's not like moving from one to the other in a silo. Like you said, it's comprehensive and you've combined that treatment 
could you give any of our listeners advice on how to move from the diabetes side to the heart failure side? Sure. Yeah. So I think when you're thinking about heart failure, well, one, heart failure is a disease state which requires a low salt diet so that the patients don't hold on to sodium and water and exacerbate a heart failure exacerbation. So you have to think about nutrition also plays a really important component in managing people with heart failure. Medications have shown to have tremendous benefit in people with heart failure, one of them now being SGLT2 inhibitors, which we're all familiar with because they came from the diabetes arena. So counseling points, I think a lot of cardiologists, even endocrinologists are still Some of them aren't comfortable with prescribing SGLT2 inhibitors. So as diabetes care and education specialists, I think counseling on SGLT2 inhibitors, preventing dehydration. Um, One of the things that I also like to do is counsel when you start an SGLT2 inhibitor, maybe hold off on titrating the ACE, Arbor, and Tresto, Uh, maybe hold off on titrating the diuretic, or maybe we even need to lower the diuretic dose if the patient's euvolemic, um, just to make sure we don't dehydrate our patients. I think there's a lot of just basic education surrounding fluid status, low salt diet, that diabetes care and education specialists can help provide the patients. There's a lot of counseling around SGLT2 inhibitors. And then also another thing that's been interesting is people with heart failure, they have to do daily weight monitoring. So they wake up, they go to the bathroom, and then they check their weight every morning. And if they notice that they're gaining weight, that's usually a sign that they're holding on to fluid and therefore potentially increasing their risk for a heart failure hospitalization. So one of the things that we do is then adjust their diuretic dose accordingly. So diabetes care and education specialists, um, it's also important because we're also using a lot of ozempic, trilicity, or semaglutide and dilaglutide, loreglutide in these patients. So another thing that we have to be careful about and another area where we can provide education is with daily weight monitoring, if we're using a GLP-1 receptor agonist, Um, Just kind of keeping an eye on that baseline weight for our heart failure patients as well, because we'll know that they'll be losing weight with the GLP-1 receptor agonist, and therefore we'll have to constantly be reevaluating their baseline dry weight if they have heart failure. So I feel like there's a lot of little things that we can do as diabetes care and education specialists to help out our patients and help them monitor both disease states. Well, those little things always mean a lot, and I always think... Little things are big wins, you know, especially when you're looking at the space of cardiometabolic health. Christy, you are just, I will call, I will say, I hope it's okay that I say this, an encyclopedia of information. You are truly amazing. Um, but this, I know, is an evolving topic, and it's one that's going to be on our minds for a long time. So we're at the end of our time. I hate it when I have to say that. But just as we go, is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Any ideas before we say goodbye? I think the biggest piece of advice is I think a lot of times maybe we think like if we weren't trained in cardiology, we're a little bit afraid of it. But I think just in general, just starting to make little interventions with our patients, starting to talk to them, having those conversations, you'll start to feel more comfortable with what do they need to know about heart failure management? What do they need to know about hypertension management? What can we do to lower their risk of cardiovascular disease? And as you start making little interventions, you'll become more comfortable once you start to see the results of your interventions. Patients will become more comfortable talking to you. And I think just in general, that's a good way to kind of start to get going in this cardiometabolic realm, especially if you've been more endocrinology-based with pumps, CGMs, different things, adjusting insulin. If you're looking more at cardiovascular risk reduction, don't be afraid to just start making little interventions based on what you're familiar with, with diet, exercise, and medication use. 
Oh, I love that. It's almost like have the confidence to just dip your toe in the water, right? Yep. Just kind of do a little bit and see how it goes. And then, I mean, there's going to be plenty of education out there for you to keep learning. Right. Baby steps. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining us. I've truly enjoyed this conversation and I hope we can have you on again for more. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me today. Wahida, welcome to the huddle. Thank you so much, Kirsten. Well, we are so happy to have you here, especially me, because, you know, you and I share a similar background with an interest in public health. You're actually a public health expert. So I'm so happy you're on here to chat with us. And also you're a nutritionist. So you have the nutrition and then broad public health background. So I'm so happy that you're here to talk about diabetes care and the transition to cardiometabolic health and really how those two work together, how we need to address those two things together. But um, before we move ahead any further, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Kirsten. I'm very excited to be here. I'm Vahida Karmali. I'm doctor of public health, a registered dietitian nutritionist, a certified diabetes care and education specialist, a clinical lipid specialist, and fellow of the National Lipid Association. My current title as a retiree of Columbia University is Special Research Scientist. My education and career paths have spanned three different countries, India, United Kingdom, and USA, and has included experience at almost every level of nutrition research, basic, clinical, and public health. Well, again, Wahida, thank you for being here. And, you know, listening to your background and all of this experience you have, I mean, your perspective on our topic, which is, you know, cardiometabolic health or moving diabetes care and cardiometabolic health together is just so invaluable, especially as, you know, we listen to your background and your ability in this translational research area, which has been a real push for the last 20 years. You know, this buzz around cardiometabolic health and the specialty expanding into this area. You know, I know your roles in the past have been really been around eating patterns and how that relates to cardiometabolic health and diabetes. Can you really maybe expand on that a little bit and talk about your role? As an RDN and diabetes care and education specialist, providing MNT for patients with diabetes, I counsel on healthy eating patterns with patients' participation. This is a comprehensive approach as dietary patterns influence various cardiometabolic risk factors. So first of all, the primary prevention of obesity Avoidance of long-term weight gain may prove more effective and sustainable than secondary prevention, that is, obesity treatment, after it has occurred. Excess calorie intake remains a major public health challenge. Often, these calories contribute the saturated fatty acids and added sugars that we really don't need and are defined as empty calories. And along with this are the high-sodium foods, refined grains that increase risk for overweight, obesity, hypertension, disorders of lipid metabolism, and also insulin resistance. So what we recommend is choosing a nutrient-dense dietary pattern that leads to a maintenance of a healthy body weight and is key to meeting food-based dietary recommendations. So we also know there's, uh, you know, when there's an underconsumption of whole grains, vegetables, fruits, and non-fat, low-fat dairy by the majority of the population, it results in inadequate intakes of dietary fiber, only about half the recommended 28 to 30 grams per day. Also, there is a deficit of potassium, calcium, 
vitamin D, and all these nutrients are considered of importance for public health. So to prevent long-term weight gain, calories and portion sizes from certain types of food should be minimized, and from others such as vegetables actually increased. Um, Several other lifestyle factors appear to interact with diet to influence adiposity. So these include TV watching, sleep duration, for example, lower sleep duration and altered circadian rhythms predict greater weight gain and obesity, alter hunger and food preferences, and influence leptin, ghrelin, insulin, and gut peptide concentrations. And we also know that greater hours spent TV watching also independently increase obesity and weight gain. And we have extensive evidence that following dietary approaches to stop hypertension, which is the DASH diet that most people know about, and the U.S. Mm-hmm. Department of Agriculture food pattern, the traditional Mediterranean-style diet, or the American Heart Association's dietary pattern can successfully accomplish these goals. We have a lot of research on, as I said, the DASH diet, the Mediterranean diet. It's also been shown that greater adherence to the Mediterranean dietary pattern has been associated with reductions in coronary heart disease risk by 29 to 69%, and the reduced risk of stroke by 13 to 53%. So we should all be looking at dietary patterns and not specific foods and nutrients. So I love this comprehensive approach that you've introduced here, and it's it's not small, it's big. There's a lot here. What is a practical way for the diabetes care and education specialists or even public health officials to implement this comprehensive approach that you've discussed into their clinical population? Thank you, Kirsten. I would underscore the importance of a comprehensive approach to the treatment and management of patients with diabetes and pre-diabetes to address the cardiometabolic risk factors and ultimately lower cardiovascular risk. So patients with diabetes need multidisciplinary clinical care in order to address approaches to improve their complex health needs. In addition, it is important to empower patients and communities to be engaged in optimizing their well-being. As an RDN, I would like to emphasize that focusing on isolated nutrients contributes to confusion about what constitutes a healthy diet. It is a distraction from more effective strategies and it drives industry policymakers and the public toward foods which meet selected nutrients, uh, nutrient cut points, but provide little health benefits. So we are all familiar with the hype on low-fat foods. So a heart-healthy dietary pattern should also accommodate cultural, ethnic, or economic considerations that shape personal food preferences. I would tell everyone that diet assessment is integral to achieving adherence to the recommended dietary pattern in both the individual and population levels. And with the help of the diabetes care and education specialists, people with diabetes can continue to enjoy eating while also reducing their cardiovascular risk factors and improve cardiometabolic health. Well, and I loved hearing all of that, especially talking about the Mediterranean diet. And you started with isolated nutrients and really an unprocessed diet and how that can impact both diabetes and cardiometabolic health. And before we say goodbye, any words of wisdom you'd like to leave for our listeners? You know, I, I think with my experience, I found empowering patients 
and having them take care of themselves is so important. You know, I tell my patients, diabetes is a 24-hour disease, and you should know as much as your doctor does. And that gives them the feeling that they do have control over their health and they can do whatever it requires to help their well-being. I love that. Empowering is is how change happens, behavior change happens. So, Wahida, thank you so much for joining us. This was just incredible. And I know that our listeners are going to learn so much from this. And and I hope we can talk again soon. That would be an honor. Thank you so much, Christian. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today we heard from Christy Schumacher and Wahida Karmali and their tips to leverage the role of the Diabetes Care and Education Specialist at the center of the care team to impact cardiometabolic outcomes. Start the conversation with your patients about cardiovascular disease and how it relates to their diabetes. Utilize educational resources to grow your understanding and expertise in this area. Remember that dietary solutions like meal plans can play a role in reducing cardiovascular risk and leveraging your role in this area for improved outcome. For more on expanding your value in cardiometabolic care, check out a new toolkit with resources to help you grow. You can access the toolkit and paper at diabeteseducator.org forward slash value toolkit. Membership at ADCES gives you access to the education, networking, and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.